0: Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist. Seriously Geeky. Episode 137. Artificial Wisdom. We're back this week with artificial intelligence researcher and Zen dabbler Ben Goertzel. We continue our discussion with Ben on Enlightenment 2.0, on the nature of consciousness, the ethical implications of artificial intelligence, and the notion of artificial wisdom. This is part two of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. One question came up for me while i read the stories that on the one hand aham seemed to really recognize that enlightenment was kind of independent of conditions in a way it didn't really matter so much the hardware behind what was being enlightened that there was a way in which that was not different for the ai than it was for humans he kind of recognized that point which i think if you were to define enlightenment just as getting better and better and better most You know, Zen masters, for instance, would slap you in the face with a stick. (laughs) Be like, "No, that's not enlightenment." So, Aham, on the one hand, seemed to recognize that, but on the other hand, had this kind of Bodhisattvic ideal going on, where I need to find a way to alleviate suffering. And you know, his conclusions were based on that kind of thinking. Like, well, if we can make our experience better and we can become more benevolent, like you're saying, then that is a a better expression, if you will, of enlightenment. So, it seems like you had kind of two things going on. Is that true? That where you saw enlightenment as something that was independent of conditions and yet you were also focusing on the betterment of conditions.
1: Yeah, I would, I would say the, the story, it, it's probably supposed to be like a, a science fiction uh, koan or something. It, it's not quite supposed to all hang together and make sense. But, yeah, I, I think that this ties in with the difference in the way I look at consciousness and awareness and experience compared to how most AI researchers look at it, which I think does come out of my background in in Zen and other spiritual practices. So I I organized this June in Hong Kong a workshop on machine consciousness, which was mostly AI researchers and roboticists, some psychologists. I was struck by how different my basic perspective on consciousness and experiences than most of these researchers, because to me my basic view is that awareness and consciousness is just everywhere and everything like that's the ground and then different systems like computers or brains or robots, whatever it may be, they kind of manifest universal awareness in different ways. So then to me, if you ask can an AI be conscious, can it have experience? You're asking like, can we configure matter in a way that will sort of manifest the universal awareness in the same sort of way that the human brain manifests awareness? And that's not the way AI people look at it, by and large. AI people look at it like physical reality is the ground. You're building a physical system, and somehow the consciousness is like produced by that physical system. It seems related to a Buddhist perspective because... Every Buddhist that I talk to has a view that's roughly sort of like mine. Like, yeah, my mind and awareness are everywhere in everything. That's the basic thing. And then it comes out of different physical things in, in different ways. And you look at the physical world as being kind of less fundamental than, than the mind and then experience. But that's totally not the way that most AI researchers look at it.
0: And have you found that that different view, I mean, we could call it in Buddhist thinking of of the Yogacara Buddhists, they're called the mind-only school. You're you're right, there's definitely a strong tendency in the Buddhist tradition to see mind as fundamental. Have you found that that view or that predisposition changes the way that you approach the whole problem of artificial intelligence?
1: In a way, yeah. The reason I brought that up is because it tied in with that story... You mentioned that Aham saw enlightenment as being kind of independent of whether he was a machine or we were a brain. And I think if you take the kind of mind-only view of things, then that becomes kind of obvious. Like enlightenment and experience are always there and they're just kind of express themselves in different ways through different kinds of systems. In terms of my approach to AI, probably the the biggest impact the this perspective has had is to cause me not to look for some magic ingredient that you need to put into your AI system to make it have experience or consciousness or awareness or or whatever it is. I don't think there is that magic ingredient like we're going to poke somewhere in the brain and find, yeah, here's the consciousness cell or here's here's the thing that lets us have experience and understand the world. A lot of people thinking about AI are misled by looking for the seat of awareness and experience in some mechanism. And then they think they don't know how to make AI because they don't know how to build that mysterious mechanism. And my view is more that that mysterious mechanism, wherever you look, you're not going to find it there. It's just kind of imminent in, in being. And yet you can build an information processing system and it's going to have that awareness and experience because everything does. I don't think experience and awareness are something you have to build into the system.
0: That's really fascinating because we've we've spoken to people in the past. One example coming to mind is Nova Spivak. And he kind of contends the opposite. You know, He's the founder of Twine. And we talked to him about this, that there's no way that a machine intelligence could ever have uh, Buddha nature. And I thought it was really fascinating that, <laughs> that he would say that.
1: Uh, uh, so to it's... me, everything, everything is... My, I think my cell phone has Buddha nature. Every, everything is Buddha nature. So that doesn't, that doesn't concern me. It's more a matter of does it display its Buddha nature in the same sort of way that a person does or not. I mean, that, that's a different question.
0: And is your sense from an ethical standpoint that because everything has Buddha nature that there's like an intrinsic value to things that might not be there if we didn't think it had. And and I asked this question because assuming, you know, yourself or someone else is able to develop AI immediately, the question will be, well, how do we, how do we interface with this intelligence? Do we treat it like it's human in a way? Do we treat it like it has certain ethical value? I guess I I just wonder what you think about that.
1: Well, To me, there's no question about it. Yeah, I mean, according to my own ethics, I would rank intelligent machines ethically, at at least on the the same level as people. Of course, ethical decisions, they're not something that human beings are very good at making, even within the domain we're familiar with. So I, I wouldn't expect us to cope well with the ethical decisions that come up with non-human minds that we may create this is something i've often thought about AIs. we focus on making ais that are more intelligent than people which i'm sure will be possible but it should also be possible to make ais that are more ethical more compassionate more empathetic than people
0: and that kind I mean, of ties back to the whole enlightenment 2.0 story
1: yeah i think we can make ais that are more compassionate Or less compassionate than people. I mean, in a way, people are probably better at intelligence than compassion. You know what I mean? It may be easier for us to make a more compassionate machine than a more intelligent machine. But that's, of course, not what researchers are focused on now, partly because 80% of AI funding comes from the military.
0: A bastion of compassion.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I find all these things really interesting and it seems. You could think, "Oh, this is you know far fetched and far out, but I mean, if you're familiar with the kind of work that you're doing, this is happening right now anyway. There's so many people and so much money behind the development of these types of things that seems pretty likely that we're going to be able to to create something like this, and it brings up all these sorts of interesting questions and I'm glad that you are one of the few a i researchers who are actually grappling with them instead of just assuming that." the point is just to make a really super intelligent system and then we'll deal with the consequences later something
1: yeah i mean in terms of the consequences i think you have to consider them in the context of all the other technologies that people are developing i mean we have nanotechnology and you know biotechnology that can lead to genetic engineered organisms there's a lot of other technologies with their own benefits and and dangers being developed at the same time. I have a gut feeling that if we don't create some kind of non-human mind to help us grow all these other technologies, then human beings are likely to create a lot of destruction with technologies aside from AI. But then there's a risk in AI and we, we could create quite, malevolent AIs we could create AIs that serve some national interest and try to help a certain group of people oppress another group of people or we could create benevolent AIs that have a goal of helping us to manage all these other technologies and helping us grow into better people and better minds and so forth. One thing most people don't have a feel for is I think human minds are a very special example out of the sort of scope of possible minds that that could exist. Hmm. So there's a a lot of possibilities out there and that holds in terms of our our states of experience and consciousness as well. I mean, in Zen and, and various other wisdom traditions you can experience a lot of states of consciousness that most people don't even imagine exist. Right. On the other hand, all of those are probably a small subset of the states of consciousness that some non-human mind could experience. There's a lot of things out there.
0: Right, so you're saying different types of minds could have a whole different range of potential altered experiences or understandings.
1: I would say so. and I'm, I'm curious how many of those like, I could experience and still have any sense of, of being me? Which, of course, it gets into a, a thorny question because I mean, it, from a Zen perspective, like, the sense of being me as an individual isn't necessarily so important anyway. But I seem to be somewhat attached to it in practice.
0: <laughs> now, uh, w- one last question I had for you. You wrote a really interesting article called uh, Artificial Wisdom. Even in the article you acknowledged, oh, at first I thought artificial wisdom might just be kind of wordplay you know, on artificial intelligence. But you actually ended up exploring it further to see is there any difference between what we think of as intelligence and then what we call wisdom. And as you... I'm sure, really well aware of. Wisdom is kind of a fundamental idea in all the different Buddhist traditions and probably all the wisdom traditions. I mean, there's a reason they're called wisdom traditions, I guess. Right. I was wondering if you could share with us kind of what some of the things are that you ran across as you explored this topic of the difference between wisdom and intelligence and how that relates maybe to the Buddhist ideals of wisdom.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I thought about a lot recently when thinking about the nature of wisdom is the the different kinds of memory that we have so we have declarative memory memory of facts and beliefs procedural memory which is how to do stuff which is, is different because we sometimes will know how to do something without even being able to explain how then episodic memory, which is just our life history, everything we've been through and remember. And it seems that there's intelligence associated with each of these. In Western culture, we tend to value declarative knowledge and procedural knowledge a little more. I think in Oriental culture, episodic knowledge, just life history and then collective history, of every group of people is valued a lot more. And... One of the things associated with wisdom, I think, is being able to bring all of these together in a sort of synergetic way, like facts and beliefs, how to and then experiences, and bringing all those together in a combined way, is something most people don't do very well and I think it it's something that more enlightened minds do a lot better than than I do or than most people do. Another thing that I think is, is interesting in, in terms of wisdom and AIs is the ability to latch into experience and lessons going beyond yourself. Part of the meditative experience is a kind of oceanic feeling that you're just sort of part of a larger whole and you're tapping into this huge realm of patterns and experiences and forms that go beyond your individual self, which ties in with what Jung called the the collective unconscious. And a lot of the wisdom you get from meditation kind of has to do with tapping into something beyond your individual self. And I think AIs should be able to do that in different ways than humans can. I mean, maybe in the same ways that humans can also. For human beings, mental telepathy doesn't work very well. I tend to believe that some kind of paranormal phenomena do exist, but it's clear we're not very good at them. They're they're limited in power if they do exist. Whereas for, for an AI, two AIs could swap experiences, thoughts, and feelings. They could just like open a channel from one guy's mind to another. You know, that's that's a pretty amazing thing. So I think AIs should have such a better ability to share with each other. They should be able to bring collective knowledge and wisdom to bear more than we can. They won't be trapped in their individual universes as rigidly as as we tend to be. This kind of gets at what frustrated me about Zen and Buddhist practice overall. I felt like I could meditate and get into some really profound and enriching states. And then if I wanted to do science and like discover new things, I had to get out of those states of mind to be able to think really hard. Of course, you could ask, well, why, did, why was that important to me? Why did I want to think really hard? Why not just feel enlightened and peaceful? But... For whatever reason, I was motivated to get out of those states of mind and think really hard and bang my head against the wall of hard science problems, which is frustrating and involves suffering as well as joy and has ups and downs and doesn't leave you feeling very enlightened most of the time. I would like to be able to have the most profound meditative bliss I ever had at the same time is making amazingly fast progress solving difficult science and engineering and math problems. And I'm not sure you can do that while being a human. It may be that being enlightened in some sense sucks up all your brain power, whereas being a a really good scientist sucks up all your brain power too. And either because we have limited brain power or because of the way the brain is built, we can't do both those things at, at the same time maybe we can get around that by moving to, to better brains or improving our brains or something. And of course, I understand when I discuss this with the Zen people, they say, well, it's a false dichotomy. You need to get beyond it, right? And In a way, that's true. On the other hand, when I look around me, these Zen masters I've met, or the really spiritually enlightened people, In practice, they're not developing advanced new scientific ideas, right? So they don't mind that they're not, but they're not. So I I don't see that they've gotten beyond that dichotomy in in the way that, that I would like to.
0: Right, so you're saying getting beyond the dichotomy would look like being able to both access blissful states and at the same time think really hard and be able to innovate in that way.
1: Yeah, I would I would like to do both those things at the same time, with and uh, I don't I don't know how, and I think even the the great scientists like David Bohm, who were deeply into wisdom traditions, and you know Bohm had this long relation with Krishnamurti. He was interested in all this. I don't feel like Bohm really got around that problem either, and it's it's interesting too that. His most scientifically productive years were when he was younger, and then when he was older and got deeply, deeply into spiritual stuff was not his most intensely productive period as, as a scientist. So the, there was some sort of dichotomy there, it, it seemed like. And this, this is, uh, has concerned me in, in terms of wisdom, because it's made me feel like if my wisest states of mind are kind of not the same as my most intellectually productive states of mind. I don't I don't like that fact. Maybe that's the way it has to be, or maybe that's just the way it has to be for people. Because people are limited.
0: Cool. Well I was wondering if there's anything else along these lines of, of what we've been discussing that you wanted to speak about or share with listeners that might be interested in the intersection between these two fields.
1: The one thing that has struck me a lot which is not so much about Zen, but about Buddhism. It's a, I feel like Buddhism and other wisdom traditions genuinely got a lot of insights into the mind that science hasn't caught up to yet. And I read stuff from Buddhist logicians, Dharmakirti and Dignega, which are medieval Buddhist logicians. And I felt like these guys mapped out stuff about consciousness and the relations between different states of consciousness that, you know, modern psychologists and neuroscientists and AI guys haven't come close to getting those insights. My honest feeling is we would progress faster toward understanding the brain and mind and then building powerful and beneficial AIs if people studied that stuff at the same time as they study how the brain works and study computer science and algorithms and so forth. That doesn't really seem to happen, which is too bad. If there are listeners who are kind of working on AI or neuroscience and are spiritual practitioners, my call would be to think more about the insights into the mind that you can get from these wisdom traditions and can kind of synergize with scientific work.